Magnus W. started here we would like to uh, salute a guy <laughs> London divorce court dissolved Henry Norman's 57 year marriage on the grounds that they uh, finally had decided they were incompatible and uh, but the thing that is important about this <laughs> Norman 80 said he would marry again as soon as possible looking forward to starting the whole damn thing all over again which uh, says uh, a lot about the man. And by the way, that reminds me, would you please, Al, give me... We want to salute somebody out there, please. <laughs> A terrible record. Listen to this. Can't you see Rudolph Valentino sneaking around? All together now, let's sing it out. Now, there's a reason I'm playing this. This is not the... By the way, may I... May, may I hold that in there, Alfred, but just stop it right there. You don't have to re-cue it. Just hold it there. I have to explain a matter of policy here. <laughs> a lot of people hear me play this terrible stuff on the air, and they think that I like it. They really do. They they think that this is no. I play I play a lot of stuff behind the various bits and stuff that I do on the air because I think that the 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 pieces of music are so incredibly bad that uh, that they represent the <laughs> let's put it this way another side of the output of man. And uh, oh, another thing too, a lot of people will hear me play this stuff and they think that that's that this is my era. 
So I'm sure a lot of old duffers, 94 years old, they're going to hear this thing and say, Dear Shepherd, you played the seven whippoorwills of rhythm last night doing the Sheik of Araby. You must be my age because I remember when they were playing the Paramount. Well, why, man, <laughs> my poor departed Esmeralda used to go and see them play at the plaza, after which we would take a carriage ride down Fifth Avenue and we would enjoy one of those wonderful meals where Jimon Jim Brady would hold court. <laughs> I just want to disabuse you of that idea. Hold it there, hold it there. I know I shouldn't say that, that a lot of guys are going, what do you mean, chubby, blah, 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 blah. Well, all right, now, the reason that I brought that up here is, uh, that is kind of a great, rotten, stinking record, isn't it? You want to hear the rest of it? Listen, just to put it out here. This is this is uh, this is pop claptrap. In fact, I think there should be a whole art form called claptrap art. You know, this is uh, this is the this is the kind of stuff that must have been just really gassing them during the days of Zelda and F. Scott. You know? Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> Of course, they used to sing in a high voice. You ever hear those records? And that, the reason I played this, a very special reason, and this is particularly for the kids. <clears throat> You've all heard of uh, Dirty Old Men, right? Well, I've got something you want that's going to warm the cockles of your heart. Tonight, we would like to salute Fraser. Fraser. And have you ever heard of Fraser? Fraser's a legend. And uh, everywhere, hey, stop it, will you, Art, for God's sakes. Get out of here. I hate to see people stagger. There he goes, out again, falling down heavily. But, uh, terrible what's going on up here. But uh, tonight I would like to salute Fraser. And uh, I have just come back from the West Coast. I was just out there this past week or so, out there doing a tour, you know, for my record and for Wanda Hickey and all that. So, oh, yeah, I'm out there. You should, you know, I'm on all these shows and stuff, me interviewed. And everywhere I went out there, I heard in whispered terms, particularly in control rooms. You know, control rooms are a special world, as you know, Al having lived most of your adult life in them. They're especially, uh, it's a capsule removed from all of reality, and the average engineer in the control room lives a life that is almost totally abstract and consists of little needles flapping up and down. And uh, if, if, he were, if he were broadcasting, let's say, if Attila the Hun was alive today and Attila the Hun was to be doing, a, you know, making a broadside on the air, I doubt whether the engineer would hear him. 
uh, really, uh, <laughs> or he would he would he would recognize he would notice the if he's a good engineer and many engineers don't even do that. I mean, recognize whether or not uh, you're getting enough gain or not enough gain and all that stuff. So it's a very rarefied atmosphere, and w- when you spend much time in that in, in this atmosphere, you find that engineers and people who live in control rooms tend to have a very uh, how can I put it. Uh, uh, ribaldry runs rampant. You can only say that. You've seen many of the clippings that appear on bulletin boards around here. They almost always have a highly erotic content underlying most of them. Now, maybe this is in direct contrast with the actual engineer's true life, which is spent almost exclusively in the vicinity of ampexes and uh, <laughs> turntables. So he dreams of a life outside where uh, where eroticism runs rampant and people wrestle in backyards and under porches, and sweat is the name of the game. And when you're when you're living, uh, doing nothing but editing tapes, that's another world. You agree with that, Al? It's all abstract. So, uh, wherever I went out in the coast, I heard the name Fraser. Have any of you heard of Fraser? You never heard of Fraser? Fraser. Fraser is being held up out in San Francisco and in parts of Los Angeles, places like uh, San Diego, he is being spoken of with awe, awe, absolute awe. I would like to see him make an appearance on the Johnny Carson. Great, he uh, he's being spoken of as a as an inspiration to everybody. And uh, and the people of today are uh, Fraser is being spoken of not only in terms of awe and hushed admiration, but he's now becoming a symbolic figure. You've never heard the term Fraser. You never heard of Fraser. Well, I'll tell you who Fraser is. Fraser is a lion. Now, why is Fraser famous? Would you please give me a little more of that with salute that old duffer? <laughs> well, now you generally think of lions, you know, as you know, big, tough. They're lions, right? And they walk around and they get shot by clods like Hemingway, you know. Then they write reams of copy about how he killed them, brave and true. You know, that kind of stuff. That's what you think of as a lion, huh? Walks around in the, in the bushes there. Well, the next time you meet Gloria Steinem, you tell Gloria Steinem about Fraser, okay? <laughs> I'm just curious what Betty Friedan would say about Fraser. On the other hand, I'm just curious what any one of 15 or 20 novelists I know who are deathly afraid of women, at least in their work, would think of Fraser. Now you're interested in what Fraser's about, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. And I'm playing this piece of music specifically for Fraser because it would appeal to Fraser. And it describes Fraser. Just mull the words over in your little pea brain out there. And he comes from the sands of Araby, right? Well, where is the sands of Araby, right? Have you ever heard of Arabian lions? Yes. And we're, we're singing about his hometown of the Sheik. Yeah, Sheik of Araby. <laughs> all right, all right, I'll tell you. Keep that up there. We're going to use that later to uh, kiss off poor old uh, Fraser. Listen to this. Fraser, the lion, is alive and well. And he is an aspiration and an inspiration to creatures of every type, everywhere. 
Fraser is an incredible patriarch among lions. He is 17. Now, do you know, you know nothing about how old lions live? He is 17, which is five years over the lifespan of the average lion. That means Fraser is about 103 right now in American people, life, walking around human terms. Did you know that that's the equivalent? 103. See, the average lion only lives to be around 12. Five years over, it means really almost double the lifespan of the average lion. That means if, if our average life, let's say, is 70, let's say take that as a norm, this guy's like 140. I mean, he's an oldie. Well, more like 110, 115, roughly that. That's pretty old, right? Okay. He is also, please, if you will, the absolute top, totally in control, reigning Casanova. Among the jungle monarchs at Lion Country Safari, the Laguna Hills, California tourist attraction, where 1,500 animals, including nearly 100 big, full-grown, mean-looking lions, roam the countryside free to do whatever they want to do. Yeah, Fraser is so old, his tongue muscles have failed. And his tongue lolls constantly from his mouth. He walks with difficulty and no longer can lead the hunt. But, as they often say, a lion cannot live by hunting alone. <laughs> Just as man cannot live by bread alone, there are other things man is interested in. Right? <laughs> that dirty old lion. <laughs> you want to hear about him? Now, wait, this is a fantastic story. It's not as simple as it sounds. Until three years ago, the venerable, elderly... Working Fraser was a circus lion. You know, he worked the circuses. You know, you've seen lions in circus. He was a working lion. He was limping with an infected leg in a circus. And his owners planned to destroy him. But Bill York, the chief warden at the 500-acre Lion Country Safari, bought Fraser from the circus at just a few bucks and nursed him back to health. Well, now... Okay, now we got the start. Now, he's an old, retired circus lion. He's, he's brought back to health. Now, you know, of course, that lions run in prides, right? You know what is a pride of lions? Well, a pride of lions is really a harem. A dozen lionesses, you know, there'd be a whole crowd of lionesses and one male lion. That's called a pride, including all the little lions, right? A dozen lionesses were brought to the safari, and they were all, you know, young, nubile-type lionesses. And until a dominant male is introduced into a pride of lions, the pride remains totally disorganized, unestablished, and the way to glory here is this, the lionesses grow more despondent every day, veterinarians who have worked with them for many, many years say. Well, so here they are. And they got these lionesses that are getting despondent, see. Oh, everything's going to hell. It's disorganized. Which reminds me, this is WOR, New York. Hey, I have a special note here about the Mandarin House. They've had such a fantastic turnout for the tremendous New Year's dinner that they've been putting on down there, which includes Peking duck, which is a spectacular dish. The Mandarin House wants you to make reservations before you come down. Just don't show up. 
your love will be disappointed. The number is 929-0551. You give them a call before you get on there. And if you don't know about it, this is now the Chinese New Year. And between now and the 27th of February, the Mandarin House, which is on 13th Street, 133 West, between 6th and 7th Avenues, is having a fantastic Chinese New Year's feast. It's really great for just five ninety-five, and that includes even Peking duck, which is a very rare and expensive dish, and such great chicken dishes as well, sweet and sour, Sichuan fish-flavored pork, and, and one of the great things I've had down there is the velvet chicken water, winter melon soup. It's really great. So if you want to take in this thing, it's only between now and the 27th, and then it's all over. Five ninety-five for a big New Year's dinner, and you can call them at 929-0551. That's Mandarin House in the Village, 133 West 13th Street, between 6th and 7th. It's an old, great restaurant. You should know about it anyway. All right, we have the Book Fine Club, and undoubtedly you've heard about the Book Fine Club, so I'm not going to belabor the point of what it is. They have exceptional books of uh, exceptional literary value. This is a special type of club, and they're offering a reference book for $1 plus postage and handling, which regularly goes for $15 if you join the club now. It's a reference book called Atlantic Brief Lives that covers literary and artistic figures. It's an excellent book. I've seen it. Now, if you'd like to join the Book Find Club and find out about this book for just a buck plus postage, they'll send it off to you. And your only uh, requirement is you have to buy two books in that year then from the club to remain in the club. Call OX71535 for membership in the Book Find Club. You can call them tonight. And incidentally, if you don't want to call and you want to write... You can send your name and address, don't send money, to Book Find, W-O-R, New York, 10018. And uh, the veterinarians introduced a virile young male, a virile young male lion into the secluded compound. They got this guy, you know, a real, you know, a real bronze-tanned beach-type lion, you know, Adonis-type. He comes springing in there with muscles going his eyeballs, boy, he was ready to go. He had a beautiful young lion. He came bounding in to the secluded compound with the 11 lionesses. Next morning, the young male was found badly mauled by the lionesses. And the ball game for him. For five nights, the process was repeated, each time with a different young male lion, each one beautiful and the absolute pink of prime. Each morning, the same result. There he is, belted out of the ring, <laughs> chewed up, nothing but a couple of old ears and a foot left. Finally, the veterinarians thought of old Fraser, who was way down at the other end of the crowd. He was in, in, a, in a cage four miles away, quietly spending his declining years, or so they thought. So they says, let's give Fraser a try. <laughs> Yes, next morning, the lioness who were found purring placidly in the sun near an exhausted but happy Fraser who lay on his back, paws in the air. The veterinarians revived Fraser with a daily regimen of five very potent vitamin shots. He gets them every day. <laughs> Fraser remains elderly and infirm. But his infirmity bothers him less these days. When he is hungry today, 
He has lionesses, eleven magnificent, beautiful, nubile lionesses to fetch his food. And they place it at his feet with prayers of admiration and subjection. When he walks, a lioness takes her place on each side of him to hold him up. How do you like that? They hold him up. And every morning, all the lionesses wake up with a contented, happy look on their face. Fraser now has his pride. And the pride has Fraser. And so we thought you'd like to know that somewhere out there, there is a creature that is doing it all the way. Can't you get it in there, Al? Won't come back, huh? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> right now, this minute. Right this very instant. Why, it's only 10.30 or so out here. Out on the coast, it's just getting to be sort of like a nice, quiet, long, soft Laguna Beach evening is coming on. And old Fraser is stretching. He's yawning. Fraser's about to, well, be Fraser, all we can say. And uh, the 11 lionesses who have grown so pleased with the way things have worked out and have grown the happier by the day, the 11 lionesses are waiting anxiously as Fraser quietly stands up, stretches, and yawns, 110-year-old Fraser. Tomorrow morning, he will be lying on his back with his paws up in the air, He'll get his shot of vitamins, and he'll sleep for a while. And the lionesses will purr and go out and get him a lunch when he wants his lunch. When he decides to take a walk, two young, beautiful lionesses will walk on either side of him and hold him up. But all the while, there ain't no doubt who's the king of the jungle. There ain't no doubt who's running the show. <laughs> and so tonight, we take time out in our busy, hurly-burly scurry, worry world of the 20th century as part of our vast public service programming to recognize and to honor during their lifetime heroes of our time. And so tonight we honor Fraser, wherever he might be. Well, I know where he is tonight, and I know what he's doing tonight. And so we honor Fraser as he continues to run his little menage with uh, absolute efficiency, albeit that he, I, he obviously husbands his strength very well, if I can use that word. And he knows exactly what to do with it. So there's no question about it that the experience does have its virtues. Obviously, Fraser knows something that them other lions didn't know. <laughs> and so tonight we salute Fraser, an inspiration to people, creatures everywhere. <laughs> now you see why I took this music? You think I'm kidding you? I'm, I'm, I'm not. I'm not. I'm t in fact, the 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 description I gave you is an exact description that uh, was reported about Fraser. He, he's got these eleven lionesses that now absolutely are devoted to him, and uh, and the 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 story that I told you is exactly a, a, an accurate description of what goes on. I mean, with with Fraser, with all these lions. Now, when I got out to the coast. It's funny. I'm uh, and how this came about. I was in a studio, and a guy turns to me. He says, "Oh man," he said. Uh, he says they're all looking forward. And I said, "What?" He says, "Well, you know, there's talk that uh, that Fraser may go on a tour." And I said, "Who?" He said, "Yeah, we may have him up here. You know, they, they, <laughs> he's going on a tour." 
which I think, you know, I, I, I you know, the, the, see, the West Coast is nothing like here. You've got to realize that there's a whole thing going out on, on the West Coast that makes the life of Attila the Hun look sophisticated and intellectual. That uh, that the West Coast is really something else. It's another ball game. And if you haven't been out in the West Coast for a long time, uh, or even the, a short time, like say six months, you you don't realize how quickly the wild, fantastic world of the West Coast is changing, at least in certain of its outward erotic aspects. For example, do you know that uh, walking along uh, a place like, uh, well, uh, North Beach, for example, in San Francisco, you always think of San Francisco as this big intellectual city. Well, there's probably no city in the Western world where more slob entertainments are available readily than in the city of San Francisco, I mean, it's a fact that they they have all these uh, they have all these live erotic shows there, and they're lined up one after the other. And I mean, really, and they have all variations. For example, there's one. There's a great big, a great big. Uh, uh, they're all done with now. They're all so well established. Of course, they're not little cheesy places, little holes in the ground. You know, they're places like uh, they have uh, marquee out in front. You know, all lit up, and it's very very elegant, or at least it looks very permanent. And there was one out there. They're one after the other. There's hundreds of them, say, or at least they seem to be. And there's one that said, live, on stage, total eroticism. And underneath it, it says, featuring only UCLA co-eds. <laughs> Which is kind of, you know, this is a, see, so that's a special, that's a subgroup, you see. Uh, then there was another one. It says, uh, this is another big one up there. It says, teen orgy. It says only teens, and it's what it says. Uh, it says teenagers in vast, fantastic, uh, exciting, uh, magnificent, uh, on stage, totally realized orgy, and this is a teen one. Then, oh yeah, you can go up and down. They they even have one if you want to hear one, one of the one of the weirdest ones I saw. There. So I'm just saying that there's, there's all kinds of stuff going on. It. Uh, uh, listen to this one. You want to hear one of the one of the wild scenes? They had a big, big, uh, big marquee, and they all look the same. You know, there's all kinds of pictures with bubbles and wild scenes. You know, and all you know, they have outlines of girls in the uh, in the in the uh, marquee. This one. Listen to this one. You hear one a great one? You want to hear one of the wild one? Sun City geriatric orgy. <laughs> And I'm not kidding you. I'm just telling you exactly. Now, what is Sun City? Well, for those of you who don't know what Sun City is, well, Sun City is a big retirement community out there where only people who are like 75 and 80 go to retire, see. And uh, it's a Sun City geriatric orgy. And <laughs> I don't want that devil. You know, I'm walking along, and here's all this stuff, and I'm with a, I'm with a guy who's from L.A., incidentally, and, and, and he, he is so rocked. You, you always think of L.A. as the place where this stuff goes on, you know. Well, I, actually, here is a guy from L.A. who's deeply involved. He's a PR for a record company, and he's really with it, you know. And uh, this guy, this guy, uh, he, we were both. <laughs> here he was. He's from Los Angeles. This is not like the tourist from out of town. And he says, man, I never saw anything like this. This is unbelievable. And, uh, and and so the geriatrics orgy, so what, is, what does it show? It shows uh, it has out in the front, see, and it has pictures of all these elderly ladies. I mean, really elderly ladies, like, you know, 75, 80-year-old ladies, and their blue hair and all the rest of it, see. And you just see these great-looking ladies. They look like, like well, they look like uh, Mary Worth. 
you know, that kind. Uh, yeah, they don't look like, and I guess that's what adds to the eroticism of it. They don't look like old ex-strippers and stuff, you know. They look like ladies that work in the library, you know. Old, you know, They really do. They look like elderly ladies, you know, that, that go to see Mr. Bernstein in his latest concert. That kind of lady. Read the Reader's Digest and all that with blue hair and little rimless glasses. And they all had names, you know. They just, they didn't say, <laughs> they had names like, uh, they, they would have their name on it that says Mrs. Samuels. <laughs> and there she's looking out. So there would be another one that says, uh, Maud. And, uh, these all nice ladies looking out. And these elderly gentlemen were involved. You know, you see these elderly gentlemen who look like, uh, you know, like guys that retired old, uh, insurance men, uh, of, uh, 75. And here, the, you know, the people are going in to see the, the geriatrics orgy. And I thought, well, now, <laughs> now, who is going in? Now, you would think that old people would be going in to see the geriatrics orgy. You know, they want to relate with everybody. No, the place was crowded with thousands of what looked like about the 15, 18-year-old kids all crowding into this joint. Now, of course, Freud could have a field day with this one. But uh, <laughs> has anyone reported that aspect of it to you? You, you, I'll bet you haven't heard of the geriatric scene. Well, there it is out there. Now, uh, if you're curious, uh, they, they, a lot of them, a lot of them have gone in for political names. For example, uh, there's a there's a famous topless review out there that's led by a girl who calls herself Barry Goldwater, but she spells it B-E-R-I, Barry Goldwater. And uh, and 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 the next big uh, orgiastic scene that's going on there. Is is a is <laughs> they they take all these names out of the news. They use them uh, like uh, there's there's a stripper out there who calls herself Margaret, but she spells it differently. Margaret Mitchell, Margaret Mitchell, Pat Nixon, and it's spelled N I C K S O N. Margaret Mitchell, Pat Nixon, and Trisha, and it's spelled T R I S H A in uh, all girl orgy. <laughs> All, did you hear what I said? Okay. So, uh, and, and, and of course now what they, what they do, it's, it's really gone into real high gear. I mean, uh, some of this stuff out there, it's really produced now. And it involves, uh, it involves movies. They, they'll have two or three screens going simultaneously. And, uh, all the screens are like in a big semicircular arch around the live stage. And on the live stage, this action is going on under spots. And on the screen, there is action that is like screened action. And uh, it's all going on. And in fact, <laughs> I could tell you a lot of stuff here that a lot of it, uh, you know, after all, our kids up. But <laughs> I could tell a lot of stuff you wouldn't believe. I may tell some of it off the air to my friends. But uh, there's, a, there's a guy I know out there who's done erotic radio shows, really erotic radio shows, where eroticism is uh, ne never it's never said it's never spoken but the whole concept is an erotic scene and uh this is all it's oral it's all you know it's the, to be heard and uh that's a uh, part of it oh by the way there's another one too there's the quasi religious thing uh which is interesting have you have you ever th thought of in terms of uh, quasi religious eroticism and uh they have they have a one one uh, theater out there. They call them theaters. One theater has, or it claims, according to the marquee, it says uh, it says giant erotic, total erotic orgy show, and underneath it it says featuring only ex priests and ex nuns. <laughs> yes, that's a fact. 
I'm just describing it, friends. I don't make the news. I just describe it. And uh, I just, a lot of stuff that's, and this is supposed to be a very intellectual city, see. <laughs> I, found, I found San Francisco about as intellectual as Wednesday night at the American Legion smoker, you know. Uh, and, and so here it was, and I, I, I walked around down there, and then, of course, to describe a scene, I'll never forget the scene. We go into this place, uh, and it's down on North Beach, and we went in to have something to eat, see, and I'm, I'm sitting there at the table, and and the, the owner of the place is a lady sitting over there, tough-looking lady, really tough, and she gets into a gigantic... I can't even say this stuff on the air here because it wouldn't, wouldn't matter anyway, but she gets into a gigantic, loud argument with with the guy who was looked like a shifty character out of an Italian movie, and, uh, you know, he looked like the guy that, in the end, uh, gets his comeuppance when Sean Connery shows up, and she's having this gigantic argument, loud argument. She's, get out of my place! Get out! I say, get out! Get out! And she's screaming. And she's, you tell this place is nothing but the... And the three words which I will use describe various types of commercial endeavor that human beings endeavor when they sell themselves. She says, you say nothing in this place but blah, 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 blah. And you say there all night. And you say all these people here. And, this. and he turns around and says, yes, I said all that. She's no, they are not. Look at all that. Everybody is sitting there. And it's a fantastic scene going on about what kind of a place it is. Now, that's what's interesting. And what kind of customers come here. And here we're sitting eating a spinach salad. The thing that makes it interesting, it was an organic food joint, which was devoted to selling nothing but like black strap molasses and goat cheese yogurt. And uh, <laughs> and, 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 and with that, I saw somebody go running out like mad. There was a, a knife fight. Can you imagine a, a, a totally depraved health food store? Well, that's what happened. A knife fight broke out, and this chick went running behind the counter, like almost on her hands and knees, and she ran through the kitchen with this guy running after her with a knife. You see, I figure, well, that's kind of unhealthy, too. But both of them have been eating health food prior to that. And <laughs> nobody, the thing that made it so great was that nobody took notice at all of it. Everybody just sat there and continued to stuff themselves with uh, with macrobiotic grains. And all the while, uh, this fantastic uh, brouhaha was going on about us. You remember, they were talking about what we were. <laughs> and we're talking about the customers. And so it's gone far beyond uh, anything we could conceive of here. I mean, most people think in terms of, uh, when you think of a health food place here in town, you always think of these uh, earnest-looking ladies wearing space shoes and that, and, and uh, cadaverous-looking hip types all sitting there uh, very quietly eating yogurt and, and they're wearing their peace buttons. But out on the West Coast, uh, things have moved beyond that. And I would say that the organic food world has come of age out there. So you have depraved organic food places. <laughs> well, well, uh, uh, this uh, is this boring you. I mean, this, this uh, I could tell you even more more stories about about what goes on out there. Do you know that out there now, uh, San Francisco is a is a is a fascinating place in a lot of ways. Do you know that they are now averaging? Get this, averaging. I didn't say it is unusual. Averaging from one to two sometimes as high as three suicides per day off of the Golden State, the Golden Gate Bridge. A day. They had something like 500 last year, it's hard to believe. 
and you don't hear about this. They don't they don't say much about this. You know, the city is is uh, it's got the reputation of being where everybody wants to go, and yet almost all of those people that went off that bridge are people who thought that if they got to San Francisco, their life would begin to be one long song. And uh, one day, off the bridge they went. And you know why they go off that bridge, in case you're curious? Well, the bodies are rarely ever found. Uh, the water under the bridge is flows like crazy. It's a fast mill race through the... Uh, it, it's a, it really rushes out, out of uh, the bay and into the open ocean. And it's not far from the open ocean, too, if you've ever seen the Golden Gate Bridge. Beautiful bridge, incidentally, of course. But they go off of that because... Uh, it's it's a tremendously high bridge. It's, oh, a couple hundred feet high, which means that you're 20, 25 stories up when you jump off of that thing. And it moves at such tremendous speed under there. And the water, by the way, is 200 feet deep at that point uh, if you go off in the middle of the bridge. And so they rarely find the people who go off. The reason they know that they do is a lot of them leave stuff on the bridge. You know, they leave, so for some curious reason, guys, they take their shoes off <laughs> to, to commit suicide. I don't know why. Or they take their coat off or, or something else. And uh, they are, they're seen. There's, a, there's always a watch on the bridge, and they see it. They see the people go, even though they try to stop them. Because there's a walkway that goes over there. You can walk across the bridge, and they couldn't, you know, it would be hard to accompany every guy that goes across. So uh, the day that I was there, two guys had gone off the bridge that day. And uh, one guy was caught, almost caught, by a painter. They paint, the bridge is painted uh, every day of the year. They just keep painting the bridge. They work from one end to the other. And one of the painters saw this guy going over the, over the railing, and he grabbed him, and it was a battle. And uh, the guy got away, and off he went. But there were two guys that day. And uh, so there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, stuff you don't hear about about these the, a city like San Francisco, which is generally I don't uh, the, the climate does nothing for me there. Uh, it's uh, I have a feeling that the, it, you're always vaguely chilly in San Francisco, uh, even in the middle of summer out there. In fact, summer is their worst time for weather. It's foggy. It never gets very warm. It's always 60, 65, foggy, a lot of wind, and uh, it's just uh, to me it's a it's an interesting city to look at, but. Uh, uh, I, I felt a great sense of curious sense of relief when when the when the plane took off and we were heading out again. Uh, and, and, and 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 what's so funny is that in the middle of all this this fantastic uh, eroticism that's going on, and oh another thing too that that you don't hear much about San Francisco is the wave of the growing violence out there. Uh, San Francisco leads New York now. Uh, much more. It's much higher than New York is in the national standing of crimes of violence that are perpetrated per head of population. So uh, this is something you don't you don't, don't hear much about. It's uh, it's never mentioned. And uh, so I was constantly arguing with people when I was out there about uh, you know I like living in New York. I really like it, and they get offended. People in San Francisco are literally offended when you say that you like living in New York. They really do, and they think you're lying. They'll, it just, just seems inconceivable to them that somebody would like his home. I said, no, I like New York. I really do. Uh, I've been around, and I, you know, I like New York. It's all, and I'm there by choice. I could go other places, and uh, they they get sort of offended at this. And I never found anybody in in San Francisco except one guy, one truthful guy. It was a very funny scene. Late at night, I was on a radio show. 
And uh, this guy was, he was doing the show. I'd been living out there for 10 years, and he was really an integral part of the scene out there. And uh, on the air, he asked me, he said, you're from New York? And I said, yeah. And he said, well, you know, you're kind of a legend in New York. I said, really? And he said, yeah, you are. I said, gee, I didn't know. You know, he said, yeah, you are. He said, uh, do you still like living in New York? I said, yeah. And he said, oh, okay, you know, and we went on. And then he, he, he put on a, a commercial. He didn't even want to say it on the air. He put on a commercial so that the people wouldn't hear it. Out comes this commercial. And the commercial came on, and he said, he turned to me, Al, and he said, he says, by God, he says, I couldn't agree with you more. He says, my head has fallen asleep ever since I moved out to the West Coast. He says, I, 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 he says, I only spent six months living in New York. He said, I wish I could get back. He said, gee, you know. <laughs> and he said, I said, well, why would you say that on the air, you lout? And he said, oh, I couldn't say that. He says, why, they'd be... They, you, you don't admit you like any other place when you live in... Chauvinism is so rampant in San Francisco, you can't even publicly admit to uh, to finding anything interesting about any other place, unless it's a foreign place. You know, if you say, oh, Paris, now, oh, yes, they buy that. But if you say, gee, I love living in Boston, they look at you as with, with a dumb look, as though, what is this, you know, as though some kind of a nut has come to town. It's incredible that he could believe this. And and uh, you find it exactly the opposite in other parts of the state, which I found even more refreshing. You know, you go to a place like uh, L.A., and, and they're just like human beings there. You know, you talk to the guy, he says, I... He says, gee, you know, I'd like to get back to New York for a while. It's a real exciting place. And I'd say, yeah, and I'd like to come out to L.A. for a while. And in, in other words, they don't think of their place as paradise. And uh, they'll say, yeah, you know, uh, I can see how you'd like New York. It's uh, very interesting. I love it, you know. Or, conversely, gee, I like uh, L.A., uh, but, gee, I'd love to try New York. But not so on San Francisco. You better accept San Francisco all the way in San Francisco. Or you, <laughs> if you think Texans are crazy about their place, you know, chauvinistic, ain't nothing like Texas. Oh, well, there's not even any question in San Francisco. It is just absolutely paradise. And then you, you, you confront them with these figures, you know, like one guy says, three guys, three engineers in one night, engineers, were mugged in their own radio station. Never heard of anything like that in New York. Right, right, yeah, they were mugged right in the station. Guy came in, one, one, one mugger came right into the station when they were on the air. And, and at night, and mugged this engineer, and then proceeded to mug the guy that was doing the show. You imagine that? <laughs> I'm telling you the truth. I can't even give you the station color. These guys then, on the next breath, say to me, the guy that was mugged says, well, how can you live in, how can you stand to live in New York? I said, for God's sake, look at the bumps all over your head, you know, the guy tore your ear off. And, uh, well, uh, well, uh, see, uh, reality is a funny thing. It is. It's very popular today to think of New York as the world's worst place. Nobody questions it. It's absolutely, without question, it's said over and over again. And I said that there's no place that's paradise. I said there's no place that's all bad. That's simply all I'm saying. I'm not saying San Francisco is bad. But believe me, friends, if you think you're going to go out there and life will be one long, unadulterated song, forget it. <laughs> forget it, Phil. So, uh, I, I also found one other thing out there, too, that I found interesting in San Francisco. I like uh, the West Coast. I'm one of these people who also like, uh, I also like going to uh, Gary, Indiana. I enjoy going to Skowhegan, Maine. I like a lot of places. In fact, I like just being alive. See, I, I, this is, this is the name of the game, ultimately. Where you are is just incidental to the fact you're alive. And uh, I, I found that a lot of people in San Francisco, there was an underlying tenor, it's a curious thing, of, of disappointment 
a curious melancholy that I found among many people. And the more they protested how much they loved San Francisco, the more it showed through. Because a lot of people have gone out there in the past 10 years expecting to find the golden land, you know. And they found that they couldn't make it with chicks out there either. <laughs> a guy that doesn't make it is a guy that doesn't make it is a guy that doesn't make it. And here he is in paradise and his knee still hurts. And uh, that's almost the end of the line. So uh, people who live in other places always suspect, you know, if they could only get out of X, if they could only get out of Y, if they could only get out of D, life would be groovy. So that gives them something to believe. Well, when you suddenly arrive in Utopia and you find that the heavenly choir is singing the wrong kind of music, uh, then it's kind of bad. And so, you know, it's uh, six... And that's why I suspect that they've gone in for these uh, very extreme forms of Romanesque entertainment. It's very extreme uh, and sad. There's nothing sadder to me than people who will line up for old Calcutta. To me, this is a very sad crew. You know what they are? Marty with money. You remember Marty? Poor old Marty standing around the corner. Hey, let's go down to 79th Street and look at girls. What do you say, Stodge, huh? And now they line up with their credit cards to get into... Well, on and on. Yeah, WOR New York, and next, Lester Smith of the News. News and detail on the hour from the WOR Newsroom. Unidentified sources close to the Manhattan District Attorney's probe of an unsolved double murder said tonight that Knapp Commission witness, William Phillips, is under investigation in connection with the murders. Phillips, a former New York City patrolman, Reportedly was the witness called yesterday to Manhattan District Attorney Frank Hogan's office to answer questions about the December 1968 slayings of 50-year-old James Goldberg and 18-year-old Sharon Stango. Police said that Goldberg was reportedly involved in East Side prostitution. Both victims were shot to death with a 38 caliber revolver, the type used by policemen. During his Knapp Commission testimony, Phillips said that he and other officers he knew of were on the take from various lawbreakers, including those involved in prostitution. Tomorrow, Phillips is scheduled to answer these reports about the slayings and his connection, if any, with them. Phillips will also hold a news conference at his attorney's office. The Senate takes compromise action on funding the bus method to racially integrate public schools. By Chamberlain reports from Washington. The Senate voted to authorize busing as long as it does not hurt the schooling process. The first of several votes on the issue was a lopsided 51 to 37. Of the 12 absentees, most were liberals. Most of the presidential candidates were out. The measure adopted was drafted by Democratic leader Mansfield and Republican leader Scott. It does provide for delays in court-ordered busing across district lines, and it says no federal money can be spent to bus kids long distances or to inferior schools. Basically, this means black children get bused out to the suburbs, but few whites are driven into the core city. This does suck.